when I did start creating a bit of a following and I had a client list, I still kept my overheads and my startup costs as low as I could when I was scaling. And I continue to do this to this day. And the reason I do it is because as you move into the whole business world and you grow in business, you learn just how expensive things are. Gone are the days where you need a fancy degree in order to be successful. If you've got a good idea, an abundance of grit, and a relentless dedication to your goals, anything is possible. My name is Mickey Old, and I'm a small town girl who dropped out of school, secured a hairdressing trade, and built a wildly successful brand from the ground up. It all happened off the back of one of the hardest periods of my life. I was down and out, broke and had no idea of what I was doing. The main edit will be your go-to for all things business, brand development and CEO mindset. Plus, I'll share the ins and outs of scaling a brand that you love. I want you to think of the main edit as business school on the rocks with a whole lot of good times thrown in because not only are we going to make your dream life a reality, we're going to have a hell of a time while doing it. Welcome to the main edit. Hello guys and welcome back to the main edit. In the last episodes, we went over how I started my brand and how I grew on social media. When I went to Instagram and I asked you guys what you wanted to hear about, a lot of you reached out and said or asked about what my startup costs were in those very early days. So in this episode, I wanted to go through everything and I want to be really quite transparent with you because as I've hinted at, in previous episodes, I started with minimal money. Well, I didn't even hint at that. I blatantly said I was broke. But when I did start creating a bit of a following and I had a client list, I still kept my overheads and my startup costs as low as I could when I was scaling. And I continue to do this to this day. And the reason I do it is because as you move into the whole business world and you grow in business, you learn just how expensive things are. Just to give you an example, I was talking with my operations manager earlier today and she was saying how much our merchant fees have cost the business over the last 12 months and it was in the tens of thousands. I was like shook. It's absolutely insane wanted to give you guys that example because if you're not on top of things and if you're not clever and frugal, money can absolutely screw you and you don't need the big fancy things all in the beginning. And I think even as you do grow, you have to be careful and just be smart with your money. So I'm going to give you some pointers and I'm going to tell you guys exactly what I did when I was a little wee business owner. So as you guys probably recall, I was freelancing. And when I started out on my freelancing journey, I was on a commission structure. I think from memory, this was around when I began, it was like 30% that I took home. And as I got more and more money or made more money, then I could like go up and take more commission home. This was great for me at the start because I needed the time to grow a following and I didn't have the cash, obviously, 
for overheads such as, you know, going out and um, meeting with reps and colour suppliers and, and taking on enormous colour orders or anything like that. I didn't have the capital for anything in that space and I just wanted to come in and not have to stress. So the only expense really was my time and obviously just ensuring that I, you know, if I wasn't living at home and if I didn't have the support of my family, if I were doing it now, I would, you know, probably get like a part-time or a casual job and do that alongside building my freelancing journey. Obviously keep in mind that if you are going to do that, then you need to make sure that it's not going to be a conflict of interest for your employer. But I am sure that you guys are aware of that. So if you do want to go out and build your freelancing journey, then maybe you need to have a casual job in like, I don't know, delivering Uber Eats or um, working a cafe or something. When I began to build a client list and I was really gaining like a lot of momentum and I was starting to understand how things worked business-wise, I decided to rent a chair because this would be far more profitable for me and would allow me to really like... I guess I could have control over the color that I wanted to use, the products that I wanted to use. And it really was the start of making my own business. I probably made that transition about six months into freelancing on a commission structure. And then I went to rent a chair. So when you're a rent a chair, you're literally on your own. Um, salons don't owe you anything. It is up to you to really grow your following because salons at the end of the day aren't really going to, they're not going to make anything at all from you just running a chair. And so it is completely your responsibility. I think when I was running a chair um, around that time, it was around 150 a day to give you guys an example of where things are at now. I would say it's probably sitting around 200, 250 a day, especially at like inner city, more high end sort of salons, but this is going to vary but I was paying around the 150 mark and I was working five days a week and there was a contract in place. So I would have, you know, a certain amount of annual leave every year and I would sign up to, you know, I would say to the person who owned the salon, I will work exactly this amount of days. So I get this kind of rate. So if you do get handed a contract, if you're going into a freelancing journey, then that is totally normal. And hair salons need to do that in order to know what their retainer is going to be. So that's where I was at around that time. With my color order, I kept it super minimal. I can't remember exactly how much I spent on my first opening order when I was a freelancer, but it was really, really low. Uh, when I decided to go out and build my own salon, I did have to have an opening order. So that is something to keep in mind. I am trying to remember the brands that we had. We've changed them now, but I think in the beginning, it was either like Kevin Murphy or it may have been Daviness. I honestly can't even remember what the first product line was, but it was a first spend, like an opening order had to be about $10,000. So I remember having that overhead. When I was looking for a place, so a commercial space, one absolute golden piece of advice I am going to tell you guys to just get really crafty with your search words and don't just rely on commercialrealestate.com. I have found gems through Gumtree. 
So my salon in Woolloongabba when I first started and my salon that I have on the Gold Coast, I found both of those through Gumtree and the other space that I have in Brisbane, I found that just by driving past. I, it wasn't even listed on the commercial real estate website. this means that you are going to have a bit of a looser agreement with your landlord. So this will be dependent on where you are in business. You might be at that place where you're like, no, I want something solid. I want to, you know, sign up for a commercial. I want to work with a commercial um, real estate agency and everything's by the book and you're ready for that. And you can cover like those overheads. But for me, when I was beginning, I was literally searching in Gumtree, like creative space for rent, like artist space renovated garage space for artists or co-working space. I did this because I remember looking at commercialrealestate.com and being like, Jesus Christ, I am never going to be able to afford a hair salon or a bricks of mortar, a bricks and mortar of any kind. It is so expensive. Around that time, so this is like six years ago, in Brisbane, in a city for the kind of thing that I wanted, I was looking at at least a hundred thousand a year in rent. That's just in rent. And that like that six years ago. So yeah, that's, um, you know, it's, it's a huge, huge expense, a massive chunk. So you need to be clever with, um, how much you're going to spend on things like rent. Also because I did want something that was quite unconventional and that didn't feel like a hair salon. I was super open to the idea of having some weird little shack somewhere, or like I said before, literally a renovated garage or whatever. I, I wanted something that was a bit different. So I put into Google, I'm pretty sure I put in creative space for rent and I was looking around inner city, but south side of Brisbane area. And this old barn-like building came up and I would soon learn that that place actually used to be a horse stables in the early 1920s, which I loved, obviously. Anyone who knows me knows that I am a country gal and an absolute horse fucking lover. So I just thought that was, you know, I was like, this is a sign. This is meant to be my space. It literally looked like a barn and it was it had the most beautiful bones and I have, you know, I've since sold this fit out and it is another hair salon and they are killing it. They've actually expanded and it looks so beautiful, but I just feel so lucky to have found this place. The rent was extremely low. I believe it was around like in the 500s per week for rent. Again, this is like six years ago, but that's like really affordable for a commercial space, especially a space that is like a cool old barn. It had these beautiful old timber floors because I couldn't afford a full shop fit out or a builder. I just DIY'd everything. So sanded all the floors back, repainted the entire building. It was about 60 square meters. And as a way to save money, I found all of my furniture on Gumtree 
If you are familiar with my brands, you will also know that they are sustainable salons. So I love that I was upcycling all of my furniture and that it was a completely upcycled sustainable salon. I thought that was very cool. And we spoke about that a lot when we opened because we were so proud of that. And we were just like, this is something that we are really passionate about. We are really passionate about sustainability and look how we've fucking made this amazing little salon. And not only has it been, you know, extremely low risk for me and it's made it easy for me to crack into like opening hair, like running hair salons. It is a sustainable salon. So I looked on Gumtree Marketplace. Everyone loves Gumtree Marketplace. What an absolute fucking heaven. But I found all of my salon furniture that way. My basins, my hairdressing chairs, everything. And I I would sand back the arms on the hairdressing chairs. And then I cleaned up like all the basin chairs. And you can find the coolest stuff on there because a lot of like higher end salons just change their fit outs too. So don't knock it until you try it. Trust me. So my very first salon fit out cost me $19,000, $19,000. And that included the, I had to pay like two months rent in advance before going in and obviously my bond. So that included that it was so low cost and low risk. And it didn't have a whole lot in there in the beginning. I'm not going to lie. It was pretty bare. But over the year that we would be there, we would add to it and we would do little things to like increase the value and to make it more beautiful. And yeah, you again, you don't need everything up front. You can build on this over time. So I had saved a bit of money after freelancing to go and open my own thing. But I also did get a loan of $10,000. And because I already had such a great client following at that point and that my rent was really low and that I had been, you know, obviously clever with the money that I spent, I was able to pay that back quite quickly. So the startup personal loan that I had helped pay for my opening color order. So the assistant that I had at that time, she's an absolute legend and she was actually a fully fledged hairstylist and she was casual back then. So that allowed me to kind of give her shifts, but I didn't have to, you know, have her on like a permanent full-time wage. If you do have employees and they are permanent or full-time or part-time, you will understand like how expensive that can become. So just touching on that briefly, because we are talking business costs, you know, someone's wage isn't just the money that they take home at the end of the week. It's also the superannuation, the tax. And then you have to think about like the loading on Saturdays and then they accrue personal leave and annual leave and sick leave. So it's all of that as well. So a pay packet will look when someone's looking at like how much they take home at the end of the week, like there is so much more that the business actually pays for every single week. And you should be doing that as a business because I know that people have been so screwed over with like superannuation, for example, but a little tip, just have separate bank accounts. So you can figure out how much actually needs to go into like 
tax and into superannuation. So you calculate that every single week and that money goes into a different account and you're like, I don't even touch that. The business doesn't even touch that because that money is for that. But because my assistant who was, you know, a senior stylist, because she was a casual employee, I was able to build her hours as she got busier. And then eventually she just built her own clientele. Um, so this was an easy way for me to have her on board, but she was also working another casual job in hospitality. And she kind of just grew into my brand, the more demand that she kind of experienced. If I feel like that was a really great way to start off for me, like going into that space of like having employees. That was a really low risk way of doing it. After having that senior stylist, I did get another senior stylist. And from learning now, I would scale with emerging stylists to assist the senior stylist that you've just built. If you are starting with you and then just having an assistant Sometimes you're going to get someone that comes by that is just super talented and you want them to be a part of your team. And that's so fine too. Like you do need to go with your gut on these things. Sometimes people do come along that you just know you need and they could be at any point in their apprenticeship or in their careers, they could be a senior stylist. But just keep in mind that as soon as someone is a senior stylist, they become extremely expensive and especially if they don't bring their own client base, which a lot of hairdressers don't. Like they don't bring a full client list if they have been employed somewhere else because that client list, you know, is the salons and they will have people that will find them naturally and that's so cool, but it's not like they're going to come and give you a list of, of people and that they're going to be found right away. So you do need to build that senior stylist up and that can take a long time and we will be going through strategies that you can use in order to build stylists and to get them you know super profitable and like hitting their targets and everything like that we're going to talk about that in later episodes but if I did go back uh, from and I went back to the beginning now and I was building a brand and scaling I would scale with emerging stylists because that way you can start to support the senior that's extremely fucking busy. So if they're at a point where they really don't have a whole lot, you know, a whole lot of appointments, instead of thinking, I need another senior stylist to take on all of these extra appointments, get an emerging stylist to support that senior. So you can start to stack in your salon. It's far more profitable to stack your appointments. And there is so much education out there and so much knowledge around how we as stylists and colorists can cut down our timing with color work in particular because gone are the days where you have to do a standard three quarter head of highlights back to back like hair color doesn't really work like that anymore you will often find that you know your first doing someone's hair for the first time will mean that you need more time with that person totally but for those people that you see frequently you should absolutely be able to apply hair color within 45 minutes to an hour. So you can definitely stack with emerging stylists. And that means that you can start to reward those senior stylists more. Like you want to get their profit up so they can be 
picking their goals and making target and taking home more. So such like the great thing about this industry is that yes, we can have senior stylists and you can, you know, they're on an hourly rate wage. So they've got that, but it's actually within their control to grow their pay. And in most places and, you know, definitely in my hair salons, the bonus is uncapped. So it means that like, there's no stopping them from earning, you know, their ability to earn is just, it's on, it's on them. And you as a business owner can support them in that by having an assistant with them. Rule of thumb in most salons is like one apprentice to three hairstylists. I just think you need to do what works best for you. So just try and figure things out and naturally you're going to find that some people are a lot faster than others and everyone does slightly different work so yeah do what works best for you but I think scaling with emerging stylists is a brilliant way to go So just to go back again uh, to like your fit out costs and like your startup costs and, and what costs are involved in general, something that you do need to keep in mind at the very beginning if you are about to fit out a salon. So even if you have, if you've been gifted, I don't know, let's just say $50,000 from somebody, you're extremely lucky. That's so amazing. I mean, what, you know, it's such a leg up and that's amazing that you have that. But say, for example, if you got gifted $50,000 in order for your business to still be like a high performing business and profitable, you actually need to make back that money. Like you need to pay off your salon fit out. So if you put that $50,000 into a fit out cost, like you need to remember that when you're thinking about everything, you know, all the other money that you're going to spend, because if you haven't made back that cost and you're not, you know, making a slight, it's not until you're making like a slight profit margin after having made back that cost plus like paid for all of your expense, your expenses that your business is actually, oh my God, I'm getting tongue tied today, a high performing profitable business, if that makes sense. So that's another reason why you should just go low in the beginning, like go really low risk. And you know, what's interesting when I started my first salon, the one that was in Woolloongabba and it was like 19 K to fit out in the beginning when I was, so we outgrew that within like 18 months and we desperately needed to go elsewhere because there was not enough space, but when I was looking at selling that because I didn't want to sell the the salon brand, but I wanted to sell the fit out. because I was like, I've broken my back. And by that point I had added more stuff to it and it was beautiful. And I knew that there were people that would stay going to that salon because they lived in the apartments, um, all around. So when I was looking at selling that, I remember doing like a bit of research to see what I could kind of sell it for. And I just happened to see that this massive salon that I know that's in my city it was up for sale and they were asking for a huge amount and I remember looking because it didn't give you the exact numbers but it just said you know this is how much like this is the turnover basically and the 
surprising thing was um, was that that hair salon had a fit out cost. It was like around a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand, and their turnover was lower than what we were making at my little shed in Woolloongabba. So just a reminder that because some things look flashy and big, it doesn't mean that it's actually going to be hugely profitable. I cannot stress to you enough, like don't stress yourself out by taking on too much. Like don't bite off more than you can chew. I love that little fucking shed. Like that was such a beautiful time in my business. You know, I, I look back on that so fondly because it was so stress-free that it was like really, um, you know, low overheads and my brand has since grown and I'm so proud of that, but the amount of work that this one now requires and the amount it needs to make in order to just run, it's, it's huge. And if I started at that point, I would have been fucked. Like I would have literally gotten three weeks in and been like, um, I need to close because I cannot make enough money. I cannot make this work. So yeah, go for a shed. If you need a shed or a garage, you know, just be clever. Uh, so there are obviously a lot of other expenses that you need to take into account when you are starting up. And so you will have your salon software, for example, your FPOS and like all of your merchant fees. Uh, and then you will have, you know, GST, if you're registered for GST, uh, the company tax and like all of your products and your website and then all of your social media and your subscriptions. So it can seem like a lot. Sometimes it's a good idea just to get like a piece of paper and a pen and write down all of the different things because you can have, I guess if you think of it like a big bucket, which is your business, which is your salon. And then you can just have this leaky bucket with all these different holes. So it's good just to like look at all of your expenses and all of those different categories and knowing what, where your money's going to go because you don't want to be blindsided by that. With like all of my social media and my website, so I DIY'd all of this stuff from the very beginning. I didn't have the budget to, you know, have someone pay, you know, pay someone to do my website. And I, you know, even recently I, I wanted to do the rebrand and I wanted a new website and I was getting quotes and it was around like 30 thousand dollars for what I wanted, like starting price. And I'm not saying in any way that website designers aren't worth it. They absolutely are. I just could not afford that. So I went and did like a, I personally paid for like a course, which was a few thousand dollars. And I learned how to code myself so I could build my own website. So my company, my business didn't have to pay for the website. And of course, there's going to be people out there who really value a great website and you want it to convert really, really well. I tried to learn as much as I possibly could in this space, but I just couldn't justify that spend for myself, um, for where my business was at that time. So, you know, DIYing is a really great idea and there's so many things that you can teach yourself. Our website is hosted on Squarespace and they have even like added to their functions since. So it's even more user-friendly and you don't need to have the slightest clue about how to build a website. You can make really beautiful templates. Um, but one thing I will say is that if you are going to DIY, like all of your marketing and your socials and your 
website, then you need to be consistent across like your branding. And again, these are things that we will cover in later episodes, but you do need to have like a brand key and you need to know your colors and the words that you use and you need to know your fonts and you need to keep that consistent uh, across your website and all of your social media accounts, because that will just make your brand look bigger and even more professional. And at the end of the day, people are always going to prefer that over something that looks really disconnected and pretty shoddy. Do not underestimate the value of a website. Oh my God. And again, you might be thinking, well, why don't you spend 30,000 on the website? And at one point in my business career, I'm sure I will spend quite a bit of money on a website, but yeah, you can do really great DIY stuff. So have a think about what you enjoy doing and where your strengths lie and outsource for other things, but try to keep your costs down because you'll be surprised at how much you can actually do yourself. After the first like 18 months of having my first salon, as I said, we outgrew it so rapidly and we desperately needed more space. At that time, I had about four senior stylists and one apprentice and then myself. I feel like there was like six of us, I think. It was a very, very small space. But the next salon that I went to was much bigger. So this is the one that we have currently in Brisbane. And it was, well, it is about 140 square meters. And this is where like, I did start to get into the world of, you know, commercial real estates and, and having like real leases and, um, not to say my other one wasn't real, but it was a private rental, if that makes sense. So things got a lot more serious and things were a lot more expensive and my rent is certainly a lot more than what my little shed was. So when we did go over, because that's something else I forgot to tell you guys, when I was at the little shed hair salon, my team were doing one-on-one -on -one appointments and I loved that. And it was very much the rage at the time. Like it was all about this slow salon experience and one-on-one -on -one appointments, which is so great, but it's, um, not like sustainable, especially if you are wanting to scale your brand, it does limit you as a business. I believe like I haven't really quite worked out a way to make it, to make it feasible now because our costs are so much greater and our overheads are a lot bigger. People do need to stack and, you know, my team want to be earning more as well, of course. So in order for them to hit their targets, like they need to be stacking uh, to get, make more money. The only way I can see doing like that working the one-on-one -on -one thing is if you do get to a point where you're extremely sought after. And this is if you're a salon owner, by the way, because if you're freelancing and you know, you can live off just one-on-one -on -one appointments and that be it, like that's awesome. But when you are a salon owner and you have employees, uh, the only way I can see it working is if a certain employee got extremely good at what they did and had a massive demand and could put their prices up quite substantially because in one-on-one -on -one experience, an employee might make, I don't know, $300 in sales, let's just say. So let's say that goes for three hours. That's obviously very low, but I'm just going to use that number. And if they're stacking, they could effectively make 600 plus 
plus there's two opportunities um, to sell retail and it just means that your return on investment is going to be far greater. So when we moved over to West End, we were still doing one-on-one appointments. The salon fit-out cost was around 65000 and I tried my absolute best to keep that as low as possible. And for me, that was still more than what I really wanted to spend. This is in the beginning of like at the beginning of 2022. So after I had spent 65,000, I'd brought a team of six over and we were doing one-on-one appointments. We were only there for like six weeks, seven weeks and COVID hit. And it was devastating because I obviously didn't have the ability to grow my business at that time because there were just like lockdowns and there were so many restrictions on what you could do. And I had to just, I actually had to let off like all of my team, which was devastating because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I, it took me a long time to make back that salon fit out cost. And during that time as well, like I realized and my team realized that we did have to start stacking our appointments because I was playing a far greater game at that point and everything changed as soon as I you know the team got larger and the space got larger the overheads just became far far greater so I think if you guys can take anything away from this it would be just don't underestimate how expensive things can be they absolutely like can add up and I know, I feel like at the moment we're seeing all this stuff on social media, whether it's Instagram or TikTok, talking about how much you can make as a hairdresser and, or in any business, you know, being a bit, a small business owner. And yes, you absolutely can, but you have to be so savvy with how you do things. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you are a hairstylist, like you will need to stack and you really need to drive yourself. It takes an enormous amount of effort and drive to get there. And if you are about to venture out and go on your own, congratulations. That's so fucking exciting. My piece of advice to you would just to be, you know, be smart, start with minimal and you can gradually add and build as you move on. You don't need those big shiny things in the beginning. And just remember like what I said to you about that massive salon being put up for sale. And we actually had, we had a higher um, turnover than what they did per year. And that's just insane. We were this tiny little place. And I, I think our overheads would have been a fraction of what uh, theirs were. And it's not that it was by any means, you know, back then, it was it was a good brand and it was building absolutely but it was nothing like what it is now we weren't kind of earning we weren't earning a shit ton and but we were still doing really well and we were doing better than you know the average like a lot I don't know I would think maybe a lot of supermarket salons even shopping center salons like we just I feel like we did do it the right way and scaling with less and growing and then just developing our skills. And I think you need to do that too, because as you do get bigger and things get a little bit trickier, it's, it can easily turn into this monster and it can just like control 
every bit of your life and it can become like so scary and that can happen quite fast. Hairdressing, our industry is really wonderful in that like you can start something and it can be quite minimal in the beginning, but as you do go out and you open your own salon, it is, I would think, one of the more expensive businesses to have. Overheads are huge in hairdressing. Uh, so don't overwhelm yourself with all of that in the beginning. I couldn't imagine what I would have felt like had I have gone straight into the type of space that we're in now and to have started there. I think I just would have given up. And it's interesting. I think it's like some outrageous statistic is no more than like one point. 9% of businesses um, succeed for longer than 10 years, like startup businesses. And a fraction of that number then go on to earn more than a million dollars. So it is no easy thing to do. And I mean, thinking of a million dollars as well, what does that mean in today's society? It's, it's costly. They're costly to run and they do have to, you have to make sure that you're earning a considerable amount in order to be profitable. So your profitability and the money that's actually just coming in the door, they're two different things. And you do need to get clever with the numbers, even if that's something that you're not really comfortable with. And that's not an area that you are naturally good at. I think you need to learn as much as possible and yeah, just try and keep on top of your accounts, keep on top of your goddamn accounts. I think I read a meme somewhere that said, did you know that most drug dealers are better business people than made me laugh though. I was like, maybe there's like some truth in that. You have to be extremely strategic. I imagine. Anyway, I hope you guys got something from this. It was a bit of a spiel and a bit of like about me and my history, but that is a completely transparent account of how I started and the struggle has been real. I wouldn't take back a thing, but it has cost me a lot of time and energy and I have had to learn quickly and I've had to be really brave. So yeah, start with less. You will get there. Believe in yourself. You don't need the big shiny things. And remember like sometimes people that are in the, the tatty clothing and they're not really giving a fuck, they often have the most money. Like the people were fully dripping in Gucci. You're like, you're in a fuckload of debt. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, guys, I will see you next week. I hope you enjoyed. See you later. Well done, guys. You've just finished another episode of the main edit. I hope that your brain is busting at the seams with new ideas, ambitions, and goals. If you loved this episode, then please head over to themainedit.com.au and you will find all of our business templates, CEO blogs, and brand development tools up for grabs. Trust me, it is packed with good stuff. If you do want to reach out to me directly, you can always find me on Instagram at mickeyauld underscore hair. That is M-I-K-K-I-A-U-L-D underscore hair. I would love, love, love to hear your business dreams. And I am always just up for a chat. I will see you next time. And in the meantime, don't forget to keep working on your goals.